Right, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3 today, two more sermons on this sermon series in 2 Timothy. I will do chapter 3 today, next week I'll do a single message, and then the week after that, Sharon will finish chapter 4 as we will be away at a conference in Port Alfred. Let's read the passage, if you can follow with me on the screens, and then please turn with me to this passage in your translation, and we will dive right in. Please excuse my voice, I've struggled for the last few weeks with this chesty cough that just doesn't seem to disappear, so I do sound a bit creaky and a bit hoarse, um, but let's trust that I can get through the sermon without losing my voice. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very different... to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with their guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have deprived minds and, and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, in Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, but you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let's pray. Jesus, just as we have read, that scripture, this Bible, is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. And it is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong. And Jesus, as we sit under your word, as we read your word, as we listen to your word, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the word? Would you change us through your word this morning? We open our hearts and our minds to you and say, come and have your way in us. Come and change us. Come and mold us and conform us to you, Jesus. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be present as we read Scripture this morning. Amen. So Paul starts off with this line. He says, Timothy, you should know this, 
that in the last days, if any of you have had conversations with believers around this time, obviously with what is happening in Israel, whenever there is a war, whenever there is an earthquake, often this topic comes up, the last days. We are in the last days. And Paul says to Timothy, in the last days, there will be very difficult times. And I want to say that when you have these conversations with people about the last days, and they say, are we living in the last days? I would say, yes, we are living in the last days. But I want to teach you something this morning, that we have been living in the last days for over 2,000 years. It is not something that is just this future period that we look to, but the last days is something that has happened a while ago. The writer of Hebrews says this about the last days, and he characterizes it by God's sending of his son. Hebrews 1 verse 1 to 2 says, Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Timothy says in in chapter one, verse 19 to 20, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God, and God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Here's a little test to you. When Peter, when there is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Peter stands up and he shares a sermon, the first sermon filled with the Holy Spirit, and he quotes the prophet Joel. Who knows what that prophecy says? In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. So the last days is something that was inaugurated when Jesus came and we saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. And you can read about the last days in Acts 2. I read Hebrews 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 and I read 1 Peter 1 verse 20. Your translation may talk about the last hour or the end of the age. So a couple of points I want you to know when when we talk about the, the last days. Firstly, the last days has already dawned. We no longer wait for them, nor have they begun recently. As I said, they began over 2,000 years ago, and we are still living in the last days in which Christ was born and worked. And secondly, the entire history of Jesus Christ is described in such an end. So we use the term eschatology, the study of end times. So Christ's birth, his earthly life, his resurrection, and his crucifixion worked through the Holy Spirit and returned to all described in the same radical eschatological term, the end. Jesus is the eschatos. You know what it says in Revelations? Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Have you ever prayed, thank you, Jesus, that you are the end? You are the eschatos. You are the end. We may say, Jesus, you are the leader. You are the beginning. You are the one that everything was created for and through. But Jesus is the eschatos. He is the end. So some of you love this topic about the end times. Some of you love trying to work out when will it be? When is the end the end? And maybe you say things like, 
I know we're in the end times, but we really are in the end, the, the, the right at the end. But who knows when the end will be? Even the disciples of Jesus went to him in Matthew 24, and the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, tell us when all of this will happen. What signs will signal the return or the end of the world? And Jesus' response is this, Matthew 24, verse 4. Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things will take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nations will go to war against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famines and earthquakes, and many will be killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers." And many will turn away from me and betray me and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached through the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. And then verse 36, Jesus says this, However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or Jesus himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it'll be like the days of Noah. In those days before the the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes back. We are living in the end, end days. If the disciples were expecting the end then. And in this passage, we are going to look at 19 qualities that describe the end. Now this isn't a goosebump, lovely feeling passage. This is not a feel good passage as we talk about these qualities that describe the last days. For it says, people will love only themselves. They will be, yes, the selfie culture. They will be lovers of money. Now we already looked at this in 1 Timothy chapter six where it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. They will be boastful. Those who love themselves will continually brag about themselves, their money, their education, their achievements, and even their faith. They will be proud. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Scoffing at God, blasphemers. This word is translated abusive. They will blaspheme others and God. When life is about self and your happiness and people don't get their way, they will become angry and aggressive towards God and others. And this, will, this abuse will be directed toward people of different ethnicities, the social, society, economic standards, even the denominational affiliations. People will be scoffers and will scoff at God. They will be disobedient to their parents. You know, when the love of self is sitting on the throne, all forms of authority, whether it's through parents or whether it's through teachers or whether it's through government, there will be disobedience to authority. People will be ungrateful. 
See, if someone interrupts one's pursuit of self-gratification, then he or she will complain and become angry and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. The love of self leads people to not respect or fear God or reverence God. I, I get so irritated when the Lord's name is used in vain. It's just such a natural thing for people to use the Lord's name. It is no longer sacred. They will be unloving without natural affection or without family affection. They will be unforgiving. They won't forgive others nor seek forgiveness from others. They will be so prideful that they won't humble themselves or seek reconciliation. The list goes on. They will slander others. This expression, this word, comes from the word diabolos, which is often translated accuser or devil. People will slander others with their words and slander God. You know, this also describes, when we talk about end days, it also describes people in the church. People will slander others with their words and slander God. The church will be full of gossip and backbiting. When self is on the throne, it naturally leads to pulling others down so you can exalt yourself. They will have no self-control. This one irritates me. Because for any of you that drive on our roads today, it's not just the taxi drivers that decide to ignore the rules of the road. It's the everyday ordinary people that are using turning lanes to sneak across into my lane when I'm going. No self-control. Self-centered. It's all about me. And I get nervous because I'm so nervous one day when I start hooting and I look in the mirror and it's one of you. <laughs> That's why I don't disobey the rules of the road because I'm like, what happens if someone sees me going in a turning lane and turning across and just apologizing like, oh, I never meant that, sorry. <clears throat> they will be cruel. This word is described as brutal or fierce or untamed. People will be like wild animals seeking to tear one another apart in order to gain or protect their own desires. They will hate what is good. They will love what should be hated and they will hate what should be loved. Ungodly entertainment, ideologies, endeavors, these sort of things they will love. They will betray their friends. They won't keep their promises. The only commitment they will keep is their pursuit of happiness. This is where we're going to see church splits and people jumping from church to church and divorce, all the things. They will just betray everyone because of self, to please oneself. They will be reckless. People will do whatever they want without consideration for others. All that matters is self and the self-expression of that. They will seek things like, I just had to be true to myself, as if that justifies any number of evils. They will be puffed up with pride. People will be full of their own exaggerated self-importance. And they will love pleasures rather than God. Because they love pleasures instead of God, the danger today is in church is where church becomes about pleasing people and not pleasing God becomes about entertaining people and keeping people entertained. And what we lose is the desire to give God pleasure and glory and honor. But now it's all about keeping people happy and making sure that they are, because we don't want them to leave. We want them to be happy and entertained. 
And then it says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. See, people in the end days will outwardly have the appearance of being religious, but they will reject the power that will make them godly. The sanctification, the process that makes you more Christ-like, they will reject that power. They may attend church on Sunday and live for themselves Monday to Friday, Saturday. One of the commentators said, outwardly these people will seem religious. They will make a profession of Christianity, but their actions speak louder than their words. But their ungodly behavior, they show that they are living a lie. There is no evidence of the power of God in their lives. While there might have been reformation, there never was regeneration, this change that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. I don't know if any of you had a look at the the census that happened in 2022. Where is it? It is not here. Wow. Let me read it to you. So there was a, a question there about religious affiliation. Christianity, Islam, traditional African religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, atheism, and the list goes on. And then it did it by province. So let's look at Christianity. In the Western Cape, 85.6% of people claim to be Christians in the Western Cape. Eastern Cape, 86.1%. Northern Cape, 97.8%. Free State, 92.7%. Northwest, 95.5%. Gauteng sees a bit of a drop, 86.1%. Mpumalanga, 89.1%. And Mpopa, 86.8%. South Africa claims that 85.3% claim to be Christians. What should South Africa look like if 85% of them love Jesus, laid their life down to, to serve Jesus and behave like Jesus? It, would, it should be different, right? So we can tick the box, Christian, tick. Go to church on a Sunday, tick. But we reject the power that makes you holy. Reject the power that makes you look like Jesus and speak like Jesus and have attitudes like Jesus and drive like Jesus. That's a sore spot. What does he say about these people? Stay away from people like that. What does it mean to stay away from people like this? that claim to be Christian, but yet their behavior, their lifestyle doesn't match up to it. It's not saying don't ever speak to them or don't ever influence them because in chapter four he says, do the work of an evangelist. Work at telling others about the good news. But what he does say is don't become at home with wickedness and evil and the culture of our world that we live in. Don't be so comfortable in it that you start looking like it. And what is evil starts becoming not so bad. And what is good doesn't actually look good anymore. And we start compromising and we start looking like the world. See, this list, you know, there's parts of it in all of us. You know, I can be a lover of self 
I can lack self-control. You know, all these things. We can be proud, we can be arrogant. But he says, don't let it be like that with you. Be countercultural. Look different. Be different. Those true followers of Jesus, those that have chosen him to be his Lord, our Lord and Savior, we've got to be different. He's challenged by these false teachers that, ca that came into the church. And he says this about them. They are the kind who work their way, their way into people's homes and win the confidence. Now listen, we're not just talking about people today working their way into our homes. Listen, there is an easier way to get into our homes. When you want to look at false doctrine and false teaching, it all comes through all the time if you open yourself up to it. It's available. But these teachers oppose the truth. And then he mentions two men that oppose Moses. What is interesting is that these two men... Their, their names are not in Scripture. But is, it is believed that the, this, these names, Janus and Jambres, are, however, tradition says that they were the sorcerers who opposed Moses when he went into Pharaoh's court. You know those sorcerers when Moses and Aaron walk in and God says, throw your staff down and it turns into a snake? And then he calls his sorcerers that come in and they throw their staff down and it also turns into a snake. And then the second plague that happened was what? I think the blood, the water of the blood. And these two guys did the same miracle, the same sign. And then when he called frogs to come out of the water, they did the same thing. But that's where it ended. After that, the gnats and all the other plagues that happened, they could not do. And he calls these guys out. These teachers opposed the truth and oppose Moses. They have deprived minds and counterfeit faith. You know, there will be false teachers in the last days who can perform signs and wonders. Jesus says in Matthew 24, for false messiahs and prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. This has been a common theme in the sermon series, the danger of false teachers, the danger that they, they are deceptive in their ways. It talks about when it says they come into their homes. This word means to creep or to be a worm that makes its way into our thinking and our understanding of who God is or what Christianity is supposed to look like. He says, stay away from people like that. This is a, not a great verse. Verse 13, but evil people and imposters will flourish. I don't want evil people in this nation to flourish. I want them to do the opposite of flourishing. I want the godly to flourish. But yet we live in the last days. Evil will flourish. Evil people will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. And then he says, you must be, or you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you scripture. Who was it that taught Timothy scripture? His mom and his gran. 
are specifically mentioned as people that spoke into Timothy's life from a young age. See, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. But you must remain faithful. I love what, what he does here. He, he encourages Timothy by saying, look at my life. Look at how I have endured the difficulties, persecution. Look how I have suffered. Yet look at how I have remained faithful. There is something about modeling faithfulness to others. There is about saying something, church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want to be faithful to the last day. Will you be faithful to the end? Or will you be tossed to and fro by false beliefs and false doctrines and difficult times? that you must remain faithful. I love this idea of, you know, where we get this on our Bibles, Holy Bible, Holy Scripture. It comes from that verse over here where it says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures, the Holy Bible. Then he says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The ESV says all scripture is God-breathed, is breathed out by God. So God takes these human authors and he breathes and inspires the word of God. And it says all scripture is inspired by God. It is God breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction or training in righteousness. Scripture teaches us what is right, what is not right. It teaches us how to get right and it teaches us how to stay right. I wanna say to our younger generation here today, can I pick on you, Jaden, Junior? Can I pick on you? You won't be offended, eh? <laughs> Spending five minutes in this is not gonna give you the dopamine drop that Instagram Reels and TikTok will give you. Or watching YouTube. It's not gonna give you that dopamine hit why our tolerance is so dependent on the next dopamine hit when we're flicking through social media. So the idea of saying, church, spend time in this, please. Start with five minutes. Download the YouVersion Bible app. It's got the verse of the day. When you're about to have breakfast, read it for five minutes. Five minutes, start there and then start to grow a love for God's word. Then hear it, read it, meditate on it, study it, and memorize it. 
This is the thing that will teach you the difference between right and wrong, how to walk the right paths, how to stay on the right paths. But it is a fight to get people into the word. It is a challenge. Is it a challenge for you? You know, you set that, that alarm for 10 minutes to have a quiet time and just, it's hard. And you start reading and then you just open, take your phone out and you start flicking through Instagram. I want to encourage you to do this, to actually get a physical Bible. Do you know why I say it? Do you know why it's so radical today, which it was never this radical, to encourage people to get a physical Bible? Because when I read my Bible on my cell phone, I don't know, I I don't know about you, but I get notifications all the time. Notifications from Instagram or this, or a, a WhatsApp that comes through, or the multiple groups that I'm on. And it is hard to stay focused. So can I encourage you, get a physical Bible. Put the phone on airplane mode or put it in another room and just start reading it. If you want to know where to start reading the Bible, if you're new to this, why don't you start in the Gospel of John and just read from then on. Just start somewhere. Because it says, this book is inspired by God and it is useful to teach you what is true. It is useful to make you realize what is wrong in our lives and it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And then it says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is there to equip you, to train you, to do the good work that God has prepared for you. In these last days, that list isn't foreign to us. It's not like, wow, things are going to be hard one day, looking at that list. That is today. That describes the culture of the world that we live in. And I love how Jesus described in Matthew 24, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Will Jesus find you faithful when he returns? Will he find you where your love has grown cold and sin is rampant in your life? Will he find you faithful? That is my challenge to you today, to remain faithful in the last days, which we are in and have been in for a long time. Has your love grown cold? Is this just a religious duty that you do on a Sunday? Is Christianity the box you just tick because you are not Buddhist or Hindu or New Age or agnostic? Or is it real? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I ask you the question, do you know him? I wonder, do you know him? What is your love like? And I pray for fresh passion and love for Jesus from young to old and a desire and an appetite to spend time in his word. And I'll ask the band to come up. This morning we were praying through Psalm 1. Anyone know Psalm 1? 
This is a verse I learned when I was young. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. How does it go? But his delight is in this. And on this he meditates day and night. And then he's like this tree planted by streams of living water who bears fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. There is this progression, young people, of walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And when you walk in the counsel of the ungodly, you will start standing around in the counsel of the ungodly and you will start sitting with the counsel of the ungodly. Will you be faithful if Jesus were to return tomorrow? Would he find you faithful? If you have forgotten the fact that Jesus is coming and you are living for yourself, please don't be in that place where you realize, man, if only I knew. Because he says it'll be like the days of Noah. You'll be doing your own thing and it's gonna start raining. And do not get caught, caught on that side of the door. Will you be faithful to the end? And I speak to those who are slowly, you know the term backsliding, where your love for God is starting to grow cold. Sin is looking good. You're looking like the world. Do not get caught on that side of the door. Be faithful to the end. We're going to stand.